When I sit in front of the TV, I want to watch what I want to watch. Let's just be honest with you. And uh, when it comes time to eat, I want to eat what I want to eat. And when we have some free time, I want to do what I want to do. And I want the thermostat in our house to be set at the temperature at which I'm most comfortable. Deep down, I just want to do me, you know? There's a problem. I am a part of a family. And I'm not just a me, I'm a part of a we. And sometimes the we wants to do things differently than the me. Sometimes the we, my family, wants to watch Henry Danger, which I'm pretty sure kills brain cells. Does, it, does any parents know Henry Danger? Uh, yeah. Does it kill brain cells? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Or sometimes my wife wants to watch Criminal Minds, which I'm pretty sure is the same story every time. They're going to catch the bad guy, right? They're going to take just thousands of hours of forensic data and figure it out in 22 seconds to locate a person. I just want you, this is how the story is going to end. That's just the way it is. And sometimes they want to eat things differently than what I want to eat. And sometimes they want to do things differently when we have free time than what I want to do. And I learned a very important lesson on my honeymoon. Emily and I, we, we did not even live in the same state until we were married. So truthfully, we had, we had not had a lot of alone time together. I mean, it was a long distance relationship. We only dated for a year. And so I, I realized at my honeymoon that every time we came back to the room and she turned the air conditioning off, that I was going to be hot for the rest of my life. <laughs> and it's true. Almost 20 years later, it's true. Because right? I'm a part of a me, of a we, not just a, a we. Today, I want to talk about uh, family and not only how I think your family can have a great 2020, but how your family can own the decade. And kids, uh, you kids in here, I want you to own the decade these next 10 years. I want you to have an awesome 10 years. I want your family to have an awesome 10 years. For my family, this is the a big 10 years. In our lives. Hey, Brooks, I didn't tell you I was going to do that. Come here for just a second, buddy. This is my youngest, Brooks. He's usually not here. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to say anything. Yeah. Brooks is nine, right? And in 2030, you'll be 19. And you'll be gone out of the house. In fact, remember, we've made you sign a contract that says at 19. <laughs> that's not true. But these 10 years, we won't get back. This is the last 10 years that can we have as our family of all of us in. And in 10 years, it'll be different. And some of even our boys will be starting their own family. And uh, so you can go. Good job, buddy. Thank you. Um, so maybe that's true for your family. You got young kids. And these next 10 years, things are going to be different after that. And you're never going to get them back. Right? Once they grow up, you never get them back. You're never going to get that time back. And this is a really critical, crucial 10 years for you because they're going to shape your kids into the adults that they're becoming. They're going to shape your relationships. And I want you 
to crush it in your family this decade. I want you to crush it uh, as, as parents and as siblings. But today isn't just about young families. I think it's about anything that would be called family. Today is if you are, uh, if you're married without kids or maybe you're empty nesters, this is about how you can crush it as a family, how you can own the decade in your family as you kind of navigate what it's like to have adult children uh, or to be in relationship with each other as husband and wife or to deal with aging parents and how do you care for them. Maybe you're here and you're uh, single, but you're trying to figure out what it means to be an adult child to parents and to not be that kid that's in the house anymore and to not be that college student. Or maybe today what we're going to talk about is going to relate to you as a single person and you've got a group of friends that are just like family. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to relate to you uh, about how you can be the best kind of family with whoever you call family and whoever you love. Because here's what I know. Family matters a lot a lot nothing will cause you more grief than family nothing will cause you more tears than family nothing will bring you more joy than family than watching your kids succeed or your grandkids succeed nothing will cause you more frustration than family your family and your dynamics and your family will affect your work you ever gone into work and kind of carried some baggage and family into work? You ever seen someone come into work and you're like, what is up with them today? And it was a family deal. Your family will affect your career. Some of you will even choose different careers because of family. You will choose where to live and build a career because of family. Some of you will give up a career for family. Your family will affect your mood. Your family will affect so many things and your family will never stop affecting you until you take your last breath. Your family dynamics will be a part of your story. And some of the worst regrets that we could have would be over family matters. So wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome, church, if you had no regrets when it came to family? I mean, wouldn't it be something if at, at the very end, when, when you know that your time on earth is done, that you would say, hey, I, I didn't make as much money as I could have. And I, I didn't uh, succeed the way I thought I might could succeed in my career. I didn't accomplish all that I thought I might could have accomplished. We didn't travel to all the places that we wanted to travel, but I crushed it as a parent. Wouldn't it be a great thing to say? I crushed it as a brother or sister. I crushed it as a husband or wife. I think God wants you to crush it in your family, in your friendships and those relationships that are most deep uh, and most important to you. I think God wants you to crush it. And you want to know why this is so important? You want to know why family matters so much? No one brings a stock or financial portfolio or resume to a funeral. We talk about two things. When they gather at our deaths, our faith and our family. No one says, well, best thing we can say about dad is he had a lot of money. Because no one cares. What matters is what kind of father, what kind of mother, what kind of husband, what kind of wife, what kind of son, what kind of daughter, what kind of, what we were like in relationships. How are we like with the people 
that we love. So this passage that we're going to read today, we're going to talk about really some basics of family. It's a passage written by the Apostle Paul that's really a part of a letter written to a group of Christians, new Christians, in Rome. Yeah, that Rome. And that's why we call it Romans. We title it by the place that it was sent. Relatively new Christians. Now I want to make a confession to you. This passage is not about families. It's actually about church families. It's actually about how are we supposed to relate to one another now as part of a community of believers in a community of faith. But I think that you can take it and narrow it down and think what can we, how can we take this to, to be about life and family? Because what it is, is Paul trying to do something that he does throughout his letters is he's trying to unpack this ethic that Jesus said would be the defining characteristic of his people, of this new congregation, of this new church, of this new body of believers. And this was that ethic, love. This is what Jesus said would be the defining characteristic of his people. In fact, one time they asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, what do you think is the most important commandment? And the answer that he gave didn't surprise anybody. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He was actually quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. That would have been a common thing for people to say that's one of the, one of the most important commandments. No one was surprised by that or, or thought anything was weird about that. But then Jesus said, and the other one is like it. And everybody's, whoa, 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 there's two? And Jesus said something that shocked everybody that no one was expecting. He said, the other one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, you mean we're not supposed to just love God. We're supposed to love people. In fact, when Jesus was with his disciples the last night before he was crucified, before he would leave them, he gathered them all together and said, listen, guys, I've got a new command to give you. You know how long it had been since God gave a command? Long time. Last time was with Moses on a mountain with stone tablets. And he said, I have a new command. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. In fact, people will know that you are my disciples, not by how much you know about the scriptures, not how much you follow all the other commands. The defining characteristic for my people will be this, that you love one another. Now, what is love? Is it a mushy, gushy, ooey, gooey feeling? Is it emotion? Is it just a word? What is love? So Paul spends much of his letters trying to define, flesh out in day-to-day interactions what it looks like to love one another as Christ actually loved us. So we're going to look at one of those in, in Romans chapter 12, one of these sections where he is unpacking this idea of what it means to love one another. And Incidentally, if you're here and you're a guest here today and you're not sure what you believe about God or Jesus, I want to tell you something. You don't have to believe anything about Jesus and if you will apply this principle in your life, it'll be better. You don't have to believe anything we believe. We're so glad you're here. This is a place where you can come and sit and learn and ask questions and figure out where you are at with God. I want to tell you that you, no matter what you believe, if you'll do this, it'll be better. It, your life will be better. And this is, so this is why this is important. 
for our family. This is why this idea is more important. If love is important, we're supposed to love one another. Shouldn't we love best the people we love most? We get this backwards sometimes, don't we? Kids, you guys, you guys listen, kids. Do you treat your friends at school or in your neighborhood better or your brothers and sisters better? Well, I mean, I got two of my boys here. I know the answer to that. (laughs) Hey, uh, men, do you, do you treat a server at Longhorn more sweetly than you treat your wife? I mean, do you talk to your wife as sweet as you talk to a server at Longhorn? Ladies, do you speak more kindly to the HVAC repairman than you do your husband? (laughs) Hey, teenagers, are you more respectful to your teachers than you are to your parents? (laughs) I don't know if that was a teacher maybe saying that. We should be respectful to all of them. But shouldn't we love best the people we love most? I mean, don't you, when it's all said and done and your family and friends gather, don't you want them to say, let me tell you what, nobody loved his family like he did. No one loved her family like she did. She, she, that was, they, the people that she loved most, she loved best. The people that he loved most, he loved best. So let's just look at what Paul says. It's in chapter 12 of Romans. That's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, please take one out uh, as you leave. We want to give you a free one. This is what Paul says. It's super practical stuff. We're just going to walk by these just almost just day by day steps. The first thing he says is love must be sincere. What does it mean to love one another as Christ has loved us? Paul says the first thing is love must be sincere. Teenagers, that means you don't roll your eyes. Is sincere. It's sincere. That means you don't begrudgingly wash the dishes. That means when your wife or your husband asks you to do something, you don't <sighs> give one of them. It means it's sincere. It means it's real. It means it's authentic. Love must be sincere. And then Paul goes on and he says this. It's such just everyday kind of stuff. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Have you ever noticed how good we are at clinging to what is bad? Have you ever noticed how good we are at clinging to the mistakes people make? Well, you remember that time when you da-da-da-da-da? And this is the big one. This is the big one. Well, you always da-da-da-da-da, or you never da-da-da-da-da. Nobody always or never does something. And listen, who wants to live with somebody who clings to the bad? Who wants to live with somebody who is always pointing out their faults? Who wants to live with somebody who is always pointing out their mistakes? Who wants to live with somebody who clings to the bad? Paul says, cling to the good, point out the positives, point out the good in themselves, tell good things about them, encourage one another, cling to the good. Parents, look your kids in the eye and say, hey, you're doing this great. You're doing that great. I'm so proud of you because of this part of your, hey, kids, encourage your brother and sister. Tell them when they do a good job, not how you could do it better if it would have been you. 
Tell them how what you appreciate about them that's different than you. Like, gosh, you do this great and I'm not so good at that. And, and I just want you to know, I just, I just appreciate that about that, that you've got these, these, uh, these great things about you. And then he, and then he says this, <clears throat> be devoted to one another in love. What does it mean to love one another as I have loved you? You're devoted to one another in love. Devotion means I'm with you through thick and thin. Devotion means I'm going to be, I'm going to love you even when you make mistakes and parents, they're going to make mistakes. Devotion means when, even when they get it wrong, you're going to love them kids and teenagers. I'm going to tell you something. Your parents are sometimes going to get it wrong. Your parents are going to come home from work after a long day at the office and they're going to mistakenly take it out on you. But devotion says, you know what, mom and dad, I'm devoted to you and I'm going to give you some grace. Because I'm devoted to one another in love. Listen to this. Parent, you, uh, adult children who are dealing with adult parents or your adult children uh, or your, adult, your parents dealing with adult children. Being devoted to one another means that I'm going to stay engaged with you even when it gets hard or awkward or weird. And sometimes family gets hard and awkward and weird, doesn't it? Because there's a divorce and it gets awkward. Because somebody did something or said something or now there's triangulation and it gets weird. Devotion says, hey, listen, I'm with you through thick and thin. And even if we have to awkwardly sit over chips and salsa, salsa I'm, I'm, I'm in. And even when we get together around the Thanksgiving table, if I don't know what to say, I'm always going to come or you're always invited. Because even though in this season for a few years, things are just kind of weird, I'm devoted to you. And this is what it means to be devoted to one another in love. <clears throat> Devotion means that you, you're not going to go hide in your hobbies. I'm going to invite you into my hobbies, being devoted to one another. Check this out. <clears throat> Teenagers, devotion to one another in love means that I'm going to put down the screen sometime to be devoted to the family that's actually in the room. Right? Dad's looking at college football Twitter. That's me. I'm going to be devoted to you. I'm going to put down the screen so I can be devoted to you to who's in the room. Mom's looking at Instagram. I'm going to be devoted to you so we can be in the room. My nephew who's in college, he, he told us a great saying over the holidays. We were all together. We don't get to see each other much. He said, hang up and hang out. I like that. We've been saying that since Christmas. Hey, hang up and hang out. It's time to put it down. It's time to hang out. Because this, this is why this is important. Teenagers and everybody listen. The, sometimes we can get devoted to the people that are out there that we are connected to here. And here's the thing. The people out there that you are connected to in this device aren't going to sit with you through crisis in the hospital. The people in the room, your family, when the chips are down and when the rubber meets the road, they're going to be the ones with you. So this means to be devoted to one another in love, that we're going we're gonna to engage with one another. And then Paul kind of makes the pinnacle statement of this, this scripture. And this is the part that I, would, that I said, listen, if you're not even a Christ follower, even if, if you did this, your life would be better. But for those of us that call, our, that call ourselves Christ followers, this is a part of who we are. We ought to be better at it. And this is what he says, honor one another above yourselves. Like if every family just did that, wouldn't your family be better? Honor one another over ourselves. 
Those of us who call ourselves Christians, we ought to be better at this than anybody else. Because our story is that we believe a God sent his only son who left the glory and splendor of heaven and considered us better than himself who decided that he would rather die than live without us and put our salvation and our eternal life so much above his that he was willing to go on a cross and die for us. That's the gospel story. This is what Jesus did to save the world. He put others above himself. He put you and me and everybody else on planet earth. This word honor in the Greek, so even honor is kind of a word like, if I would tell you to define honor, well, that's kind of hard to do, isn't it? It's like you know it when you see it. What does honor mean? Well, in the Greek, it's this word timae. It's spelled just like time when you translate it into English with an accent on it, timae. But it means value or worth or price. So think about it like this way. You ever had a coupon that was like a week out of date and you take it to them and what do you ask them? Would you still honor this? Right? Would you still honor this? And what you're saying is, I know it's a piece of paper and the date says 2019, but would you place a value on this coupon? Would you count it as where it says $10 off and it's really just a paper with $10 off written on it, but would you count it as $10? Would you make it worth $10? So that's what we say, honor those above our, others above ourselves, honor one another above ourselves. We're saying that I'm going to place the value that your emotions, your feelings, I'm going to count you as more valuable than me. Here's a really easy way to remember it. Kids, you can remember this. Teenagers, you can remember this. And maybe you want to adopt this saying in your family in 2020. I'm just going to do we over me. I'm a me, but we comes before me. We over me. That the we is always going to be more important than me. That whatever, whatever the we wants comes first. That I'm going to put we over me. I'm going to put my family's needs. I'm going to put my family's desires. I'm going to put my, whatever's best for my family over whatever I want to do for me. Sometimes we need a little help and a little perspective. Remembering what it means to honor one another above ourselves in family. When... Uh, <clears throat> Our oldest son, Morgan, is 15, and when Emily and I had him, we were like any new parent. We had no idea what we were doing. You remember, some of you remember those days. We had no idea, and we got all the baby gear that everybody gets, and we got the baby monitor. Anybody remember the baby monitor? Some of you are dealing with the baby monitor right now. So we put the baby monitor in the room, and I want a confession. I hated the baby monitor. <sighs> just that low buzz in the background. I'm like, I'm trying to watch TV, right? And more than that, Morgan was a, a loud infant sleeper. He was a grunter. He just always just, mm, ah, ah, mm, ah. or he'd let out a little cry that lasted like a second and a half. And then he was just a loud sleeper. So it wasn't just, it was, mm, ah, ah, mm. it's like, it just, you know, it just, it just, I hated the baby monitor. Uh, and of course, you know, and then there's those times that, you know, when you're, they're first learning to sleep by themselves and, you know, they cry for five or 10 or 30 minutes and 
my attitude was just like, he'll cry it out. It'll be all right. Turn the baby monitor off, let it go. Uh, and even, of course, Emily's idea was we need the baby monitor because if something's wrong and he starts crying, I want to be able to hear him so we can go and, and comfort him or whatever it was. And my thought was, um, if it's bad enough, he'll cry loud enough and we'll hear it. That was just, that's classic dad, right? And I can remember there would be times, we lived in a two-story house, there would be times that uh, we would put him to bed and maybe Emily would go to our bedroom, was upstairs, and I'd come downstairs. Or even if I was by myself sometime, if she was doing something and I put him to bed, and I'd come downstairs and I'd look at that baby monitor and I'd be like, ugh, I don't want to turn that baby monitor on. I just won't tell her. She's probably got it on up in the bedroom anyway. Uh, or I'll hear him if she's not there, I'll hear him. And then one night I came down the stairs, hello, the baby monitor. I don't know why I just had this thought. If something happened to Emily, some tragedy, and I was raising this baby alone, every night when I put him to bed, I would come down those steps and I would turn on that baby monitor to honor her because that's what she wanted me to do. And I asked myself the question, if I would honor her if she died... Why won't I honor her since she's alive? And since then, I turned on the baby monitor. Now, I'm learning to rinse off the dishes before I put them in the dishwasher. <laughs> because that's what mama wants us to do. I think that's why we have a dishwasher. Just run it twice if it don't work the first time. Amen? Amen? Yeah, all the boys in the house say Hallelujah. <laughs> But I honor her because that's what it means. Because I put we over me. Paul finishes it up like this. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. What family wouldn't be better in 2020 with more spiritual fervor? Serving the Lord. What family wouldn't be better with more serving hearts? Be joyful in hope. What family wouldn't be better with more joy? Patient in affliction. Do you know any families could use a little patience? Faithful in prayer. What family wouldn't be better with more faithfulness and prayer? The truth is you see this passage and all the way through what we look through, through sincerity and all the other things and looking for the good. There are so many things. This passage is chock full of ways that will make your marriage, make your family, make your roommates better. There, there's chock full. But it really comes back to this idea of just saying, I'm going to put we over me. I'm going to put you first. And so here's the challenge I want to give you. And this is really super practical. When you go out in the atrium today, we've got these little chalkboards, you know, these little chalkboards. And I want you to choose a 2020 word from this passage. There's some great words, sincerity, right? To point out the good, that maybe you want to say, I want to be more devoted. I want to honor one another. I'm going to put others' needs first. And you're like, well, what if I don't have a family? Listen, this is important for you single. This is about how to be a better roommate. If you're single and you got a roommate, figure out how you can be a better roommate and put your roommate above you. Because I want to tell you something. People that are hard to live with as roommate turns into wives and husbands that are hard to live with. So get good at living with somebody. What if I want to, maybe it's serve in your family, maybe it's joy, maybe it's hope, maybe it's patience, maybe it's say, hey, we're going to be more faithful. We're going to be more faithful in our worship attendance in 2020, or we're going to be committed to prayer. And what I want you to do is take this little, little chalkboard and write out whatever word you want there. 
And I want you to sit it on your kitchen table or on your counter or somewhere that's your family. And just every morning and every day say, hey, this is the way that we're going to focus. This is the way that we're going to dig in this family. We're going to get better at this. And guess what? There's 10 words in this passage. You could pick one for the next 10 years. And you might just own the decade. But let me finish up with this. I don't want you to do this just because it's good for your family to make your life better. Because honestly, there's a thousand self-help books you could read that make your life better and your family better. I want you to do this because I want God in the middle of your family and in your home. Because when we obey the scriptures, and that's what this is about, not just some self-help making your life better. This is about being obedient to the scriptures teaching on how to love people well. And when we are obedient to the scriptures, we invite the author of the scriptures into our homes. And that's what I want for you more than anything else. Because if you're going to own the decade, it's got to start with him owning your heart. And a practical step is to say, Lord, I'm going to follow your lead, the lead that gave your son for me, who put the we of the world over the temporary pain of the cross because it was better for everybody. And if we want to be the kind of people, the kind of families that put we over me, when God comes and gets a hold of my heart, then I learn a lot better how to put we over me. We're going to close a little different today. We're uh, not going to have a song to close out. We're just going to pray and let you go and have you go as a family. And if you're single, do this or you're, you're, you know, you're empty nesters, whatever it is, just for your home this year to say, this is going to be my 2020 word that I'm going to focus on every single day. I'm going to pray about it every single day about how God, what are you calling me to, to kind of invite this obedience into my life? Uh, So I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you after I pray. There will be some of our prayer team here. If there's any families that want to come pray deeper together, uh, they'd be happy to pray with you. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for teaching us through your generosity, through your heart to put the world over you. Thank you for teaching us what it looks like to honor one another above yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you valued our souls at such a high price. You valued eternal life for us at such a high price that you were willing to sacrifice for us. Lord, help us to be people. Help us to be families. Help us to be married couples. Help us to be brothers and sisters who put we over me. Not just because, God, it will make our lives better. But because you told us there's one command you would have for the people called Jesus' people. That we would love one another just like you have loved us. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. The one who taught us to love. Who taught us what surrender looks like. Who taught us what sacrifice looks like. Amen.